good morning again, and it's my honor to share with you from God's Word this morning. And we have come to the tail end of this summer sermon series, No One Ever Told Me. And so that means that we have come to the tail end of summer, which means I am in trouble. Because where I'm from, we wear flip-flops through December, through Christmas. So I've got to get some new shoes, some new clothes, and I'm kind of freaking out for what an actual winter is going to be like. So you guys pray for me. Well, also with the end of this sermon series, we'll begin a new one next week. And we are just going to march through Genesis chapter 1 through Genesis chapter 3. These are some of the most theologically rich chapters of the Bible. And of course, in many ways, so significant because they start the story. And so these chapters really inform what goes on in the rest of Scripture's story. So I encourage you, read those chapters this week and prepare your mind and heart for what's going to be declared to us throughout the fall as we go through Genesis chapters 1 through 3. Well, with this sermon series, No One Ever Told Me, we've looked at these topics that can be difficult for us to wrestle with, truths from Scripture that can sometimes be stumbling blocks for us and cause us confusion or perplexity. And so today we conclude this series, No One Ever Told Me, Even Though God Knows All, I Must Pray. No one ever told me, even though God knows all, I must pray. If, as the prophet Isaiah says, if God declares the end from the beginning, then why pray? If God declares what the end will be from the very outset, then why pray for the end to come about? It's already set through God's knowledge of it. And scripture passage after scripture passage could be multiplied concerning God's knowledge of the future. He is Lord over time as well as space. So why pray? Well, we're going to answer this question by looking at James chapter 5, verses 13 through 18. So if you have a Bible and want to turn there, it's at the very end of the whole thing, right after the book of Hebrews and right before First and Second Peter is the epistle of James. And we will be in chapter 5, verses 13 through 18. James chapter 5, verses 13 through 18. There the Holy Spirit writes, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing the sick one with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise the sick one up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. 
And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you have revealed yourself by the sacred scriptures. And we pray now that your spirit would come and open our hearts Unplug our ears to be instructed by you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, James, the author of this letter, James was an elder or pastor of the church in Jerusalem. The Apostle Paul refers to him as one of the pillars of the church, the early church. And it appears in this letter that James is concerned that the Christians he's writing to they had minimized the demands of the gospel. The gospel is God's good news of grace through Jesus. That salvation is not earned by our good works or by our religious deeds. Salvation is all of grace, but not cheap grace. It's grace that demands we give our entire lives in obedience to Jesus. And based on the content of James' writing, it appears that these Christians had minimized the high cost of following Jesus. Do we really have to care for the poor? Can't we show favoritism towards the rich? And so James exhorts them towards impartiality. Do we really have to live out following Jesus Can't we just say that we have faith? And so James urges them towards true faith, faith that shows itself by its works. Well, in this closing section, James is going to address, among other things, and we won't have time to talk about them all, but he's going to talk about prayer and God's call on our lives to pray. That's the big idea of this morning's message. God wants us to be a people of prayer. God wants Woodside Bible Church of Romeo to be a people of prayer. But why? If God knows the future, why pray? If God knows whether or not he's going to answer our prayers before we ask them, what's the point of asking them? So we're going to work through this text and see three reasons why we pray. First, we pray because God commands it. We pray because God commands it. Verse 13, James writes, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. So James isolates prayer upon the occasion of suffering, but listen how the Apostle Paul puts it to The Thessalonian Christians, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, Paul writes, pray without ceasing. So suffering or otherwise, there's no occasion upon which prayer is not appropriate. There's no experience in our lives wherein the command to pray is not binding. We pray because God commands it. The future-knowing God commands that we pray for future events. Why do we pray? 
Well, this first point relates to what is absolutely basic to our faith. God is Lord. One researcher has indicated that in our English Bibles, God is referred to as Lord 7,000 times. So in the Old Testament, there's his personal name, Yahweh. And the best our translators can do for understanding what this name means is to translate it Lord. So it'll be in all caps, L-O-R-D. Whenever you see that in the Old Testament, that's the translators indicating this is God's personal name, Yahweh, the Lord. And then there's also the Hebrew term Adonai, a more generic term for Lord. It's ascribed to God hundreds of times. It'll be capital L and then lowercase o-r-d. And then in the New Testament, there's this word kurios. And again, hundreds of times, God is referred to as Lord. And stunningly, even Jesus himself is given this title, kuriosiesus, the Lord Jesus. All in all, nearly 7,000 times, God is referred to as Lord. I've heard it put this way. The fundamental message of the Old Testament is this. Yahweh is the Lord. And the fundamental message of the New Testament, the fulfillment of the Old, is this. Jesus is Lord. And as the Lord, he commands, we pray. A couple of weeks ago, we had baptisms at the worship service at Simpson Park. And all of those who were baptized that day had to write out their story of salvation. And a few of them got to share their stories publicly with us at the gathering. Well, one of the ladies who was baptized that day, her name's Kim Dahl, and I want to pull out one of the lines from her story. Kim said this, I wish to publicly declare my desire to be faithful to Jesus and fully surrender to him. Surrender. I love that word, surrender, for how it captures the experience of coming to the point in our lives where we say, Jesus is Lord, not me. I surrender my rights over my life. I surrender my preferences for my life. I surrender my desires for my life. It's all under your lordship, Jesus. That's essentially what all of those baptism stories boil down to. People coming to the realization that Jesus is Lord. This made me think of my own story. I was 19 or 20 years old, playing football, partying, tons of friends. I even had a really nice car, a much nicer car than I have now. So go figure. I don't know if this car is going to survive the winter either. It's a Honda Civic. So pray for me on that too. I was the Lord. I was the commander of my life. I was the captain of my soul. I was doing my thing, my way, for my glory. And gratefully, there was a campus ministry doing work at this university I was attending. And one of their staffers befriended me, and eventually declared to me, CT, this is not the way you were meant to live. Your life was not designed for you to sit on the throne of it. 
And I couldn't argue with them. Because even though I had all this other good stuff going on, the Spirit had begun to reveal in me this deep insecurity that I could not shake. And this unfillable emptiness that I couldn't do anything about. And that began this year-long process of wrestling with this truth. Jesus is Lord. And thankfully, at the end of that year, I came to the end of myself. I hit bottom. And there I cried out to God for salvation. And this is all I knew to say. Through tears, just lamenting my sin, what came out of me was, I give up. I give up. I give up. It's the only thing that came out. And I don't even think I knew the significance of what I was saying in that moment. But I think I was saying, I give up trying to run my life. I give up being Lord of my life. I give up resisting your lordship. Or as Kim put it, I surrender, Jesus. You are Lord. And if Jesus is Lord... What does that make us? Servants is the language of the New Testament. And as his servants, we pray simply because he commands us. Now, does this mean that God doesn't welcome our honest questions, even our doubts at times, including our question today about prayer as it relates to God's knowledge of the future? Well, I think he does welcome them. But... We bring our questions to him humbly with the posture of a learner. We don't put God in the interrogation chair. We don't put him on trial. That whole attitude would be to deny his lordship from the very outset and get the answer that we want. So why do we pray if God already knows whether, he's not, whether or not he's going to answer our prayers? Because God, our Lord, commands us Secondly, we pray because we have needs. We pray because we have needs. Look again, verses 13 through 14. James writes, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let the elders pray over the sick one, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So James speaks of those who are suffering and have need for relief. Then he specifically refers to those who are suffering through sickness and have need for healing. And for each of these needs, James directs them to ask God to fulfill your needs. Now, God could just fulfill our needs like that if he wanted to, right? If he is who he says he is, if the Bible is who, if God is who the Bible says he is, if he is all-powerful and all-knowing, then he could fulfill our needs immediately. So why does he command us to ask him to fulfill our needs? Well, this second point relates to the amazing fact that God wants a personal relationship with us. He wants us to submit to him as Lord, but he also wants us to relate to him as our Father. And as many of you know, how do children relate to their parents? They ask us for things. 
Our children pray to us to fulfill their needs. So Charlie is our almost two-year-old son. And when I first walk into the boys' room in the morning to get him out of bed, Charlie will say to me, Dopper, Dopper. And that's one-year-old speak for, Dad, I've filled this one up, and I need you to give me a fresh diaper. That's his way of relating to me, of relying upon me as his dad. And it just continues throughout the day. We go to the breakfast table and he'll say, milk, milk. Or he'll say, cup, cup. And that's his way of saying, Dad, I have need of some milk. Can you help me? And William, our three-year-old, he'll say, Dad, can I have some Cheerios, please? And I told Meg earlier this week, these two are so adorable to me, so precious to me, that I can barely look at them sometimes. It makes my heart ache. I love them so much. It hurts. Aha. So do you see the connection? Prayer and taking our needs to God is a means of relating to our Heavenly Father. He doesn't just command us to pray. He wants us to pray. He doesn't just want our obedience, though he certainly deserves it as the Lord. He also wants our love. He wants to hear your voice. He wants to hear your cries. We pray because we have needs. And our loving Father walks with us through what we need. I'm sure there are many elderly Christ followers here who could share story after story of God showing up in faithfulness as they brought their needs to him, how he comforted, how he provided. We pray because we have needs and our Father walks with us through them. Finally, we pray because there is power. We pray because there is power. Again, verses 15 through 18. James writes, the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise the sick one up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. So let's review. The prayer of faith saves the one who is sick. Now immediately in the very next verse, James says it's the Lord who raises the sick one from his sick bed. But he also says the prayer did it. The prayer saved him. So there's power to save through prayer. And then James gets even more explicit at the end of verse 16. The prayer of a righteous person has great power. Or as the King James translates it, the prayer of a righteous man availeth much. 
So prayer changes things. And conversely, failure to pray keeps good and godly things from happening. If the elders don't pray for this person, there will be no healing. If the righteous person fails to pray, there will be no demonstration of power. If Elijah does not pray for the famine, it won't happen. And similarly, our church will not grow in love and holiness if we don't pray for God's spirit to move amongst us. The marriages represented in this room will not endure, will not grow in intimacy if we don't pray for God to keep us and grow us. The community that we exist in, Romeo and Washington and the rest, these communities will not be impacted by the gospel if we don't pray for boldness. Our neighborhood groups, they will not be the loving, authentic, Jesus-following communities that we long for if we don't ask God to show up in power. Powerful demonstrations of God's truth and love will be missed if we don't ask for it. Now that said, prayer does not change the eternal plan of God. He knows the end from the beginning. His purposes cannot be stopped. But within the eternal plan are many means that work towards the end. So for example, God designed things such that crops would grow through the means of water and sunlight. Water and sunlight bring about the end result. And so it is with prayer. Our prayers are the powerful means by which God fulfills his purposes. So think again about the example that James cites with Elijah. God's three-and-a-half-year famine is carried out against the land in judgment through the powerful prayers of the man like us, Elijah. Well, this is a good place for us to land because this is ultimately what this message is all about. Will we be a people of prayer? Will Woodside Bible Church of Romeo be marked as a people of prayer? Besides God, who knows what our future holds? In five years, who knows where this church will be? In six months, who knows? I've learned quickly that life comes at you fast around here. But whatever is out there, let's not let it be said that we missed opportunity because we didn't pray. Our Lord calls us to seek Him in prayer. He has sent orders. Pray at all times. When you're suffering, when you're cheerful, when you're sick, without ceasing. Will we be a people who respond to the Lord in prayer? And will we be a people who walk with our Heavenly Father? What love what intimacy, what comfort we receive when we cast our anxieties upon the Lord and we, when we pour out our hearts and take our needs to our Father. Will we be a people of prayer?
May it be so. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we come before you in the name of the Lord Jesus and thank you that we have all heard the call. We've heard the proclamation, Jesus is Lord, and we've responded in submission. We trust that he is Lord over all and he is worthy of us bowing the knee in reverent trust. God, what an amazing kingdom that he is establishing heaven on earth, and we've begun to experience it now. God, as we've thought about your word this morning and this sometimes confusing issue of prayer and your knowledge of the future, I pray that you would stir in us strength to set aside time to be disciplined in seeking you through prayer. And I pray that you would stir our hearts and give us a desire to seek you through prayer. Lord, we want to see great things happen in our lives. We want to see great things happen in our communities. And so come, give us love, give us compassion, give us boldness to bear witness to the truth of your love and mercy through Jesus. God, we thank you so much for the good work you've begun in us. Complete it for the glory of your name and the good of your people. In Jesus' name.